Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. I know I said last week I wasn't sure if we were going to have a pod on Sunday, but here we are. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's Sunday evening. We are starting this podcast in the bottom of the seventh inning, actually, of the night game that is transpiring and joining me as often. Eric Cole is here. Hey, man. Hey, man. I'm feeling pretty good about how this podcast is going because your boy, Tuki, just struck out Goldschmidt. Uh, as soon as you did the intro, so I'm feeling pretty good about how this is going to go. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's still a chance right now, just for people that don't know or may uh, want to know why we're recording at this weird time. It's 9.30. Uh, I've been traveling. I just got back. Uh, family stuff without getting into too much depth. It's not been a terribly fun week for me on the personal front. Um, so here we are, and we're recording before the game ends because neither one of us wanted to go until like 11 o'clock. So... Uh, perhaps the Braves will pull this off. They're down three nothing in the bottom of the seventh, and uh, we will update you if things get weird on this podcast. Um, with that said, we can talk about everything that happened uh, before now this week, and uh, by the end of this, maybe we'll know the resolution of the game because we end up talking uh, for a while usually when Eric and I get together. So, usually, usually, yeah. So let's just run through kind of what happened there was a couple of big things that transpired we'll save sort of the big picture items for later there was a trade i guess we could start with that was the first thing that happened technically since since we recorded last week was the trade for anthony swarzak um that is a trade that happened um that was weird i will say this i'm not we're gonna spend too much time on this but um trading someone who can't pitch who's on a one-year contract is interesting um granted it was arbitration um, and all that stuff with aroidus and then jesse biddle who had a rough go of it, um, and buying low on Swarzak, who at this moment in time when we were recording, has three appearances with uh, three innings, no runs, one hit, five strikeouts. So the early returns are good. I'm t- I, uh, I'm always skeptical of relievers, but because he was really bad previously, he was awesome for a while and then wasn't so awesome. But what did you make of that? It was like almost a week, almost a week ago now, but that was sort of the first thing that happened after we recorded last Sunday. So uh, what was your reaction to that trade? It feels like both teams were like they weren't like the Mariners were just going to release Warzak anyway because they were try, at least trying to get rid of his money in some form or fashion, and the Braves were just were done with Vizcaino and Biddle, and so it feel it feels like on the Braves side at least they're just like releasing those two guys but with upside, you know what I mean? Like because I mean if Warzak ends up being something, then that works out great for the Braves because 
you know, obviously Viz wasn't going to be back this year and he wasn't going to come back with the team. I, I wouldn't imagine, if, especially if they made that this decision. And then that combined with the fact that I just Biddle was just broken. And I, it, it hurts me to say that because, I mean, he was a guy I really liked in the minors. But he I don't know if it was the yips. I don't know if it's a mechanical thing you know, or a mental thing or whatever it was. He just couldn't throw strikes anymore. And when he did, there were just groove pitches that got hit really hard. And, you know, there just wasn't a future for them here. And as a result, you know, I just that I didn't see them pitching much for the Braves going forward anyway. And if you're going to, quote unquote, just get rid of them or cut bait with them, if you can do this and possibly get a piece back that might give you some value, I'm totally I'm all for it. Because, again, it felt like I think after the money came from the Mariners, it was like the salary was a wash. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a move that's obviously defensible and I wouldn't have too many expectations for Swarzak, but he is a talented guy who's been good in the past. He has not been good recently, as we mentioned a second ago, but um, it's a buy-low opportunity. There's no risk, because if he's bad, they'll just cut him, and they already had that money out the window. So, yeah, it's fine. Which That was sort of in my notes first, because it was the first thing that happened between last week and this week, but that was uh, not a huge ticket item, and we'll follow that as we get along here. Um, To the actual results that transpired, um, the Braves won a series in San Francisco, which we talked about this last week with Scott and I. It was a situation where you want to go in and win that series. I know it's not always easy to forecast victories and series on the road, but the Giants are pretty bad. And, you know, only, you know they took two or three. They took care of business. You know, the Tuesday game was the lone blemish, and it was a, a blown save from Luke, from Luke Jackson in the ninth inning. He didn't even pitch that badly, frankly. I thought he was okay. He just yeah, had some, some, luck. some ground Yeah, ground balls found some holes and some weird, like, bounces that just shouldn't normally happen did and this is what happens you know yeah it wasn't it wasn't one of the i mean it was one of those nights where you kind of shake your head but um there have been plenty of evenings already this season where people have been including myself been really frustrated by the bullpen that really wasn't one of them like he didn't you know it's a frustrating loss and that you thought that's a game that you probably should have won and you could have swept the series but that wasn't like a oh you know blast luke jackson on the way out of the building that night like it's he, he didn't get lit up it's just no you know. That's it, one of those things that just happens. It's baseball, and you know it is what it is. Um, Julio Teheran was affected in that game, by the way, which is interesting because he's pitching. He, well, he pitched tonight. He's now out of the game, as you mentioned before. But we'll come back to him in a little bit. But taking two out of three there, um, your your son Mike Soroka had two great yes. starts this week. The first of which yes. was Monday, was lights out, flirted with uh, perfection for a while on Monday, and then uh, cooled off a little bit, but still was awesome. And then pitch came back. Later, against St. Louis, different opponent, um, better opponent, and pitched great again. He has a 1.07 ERA, Eric. And uh, by the time he pitches his, his next start, it, it will almost be June, if not already June. That's pretty good, I think, like Maddox-like. He's not going to be Maddox. Uh, we, we, always, we always have to say that. Uh, maybe you won't say that because maybe you think he's Maddox because I know how you feel about him. <laughs> but um, he's uh, he's very good. So we'll, we can spend some time there just so you can like pound your chest, I guess, a little bit on, uh, on your uh, favorite song. So it's funny to me because I mean we've had this conversation on this podcast and we've had it on the on the Road to Atlanta podcast. Like we get asked this question a lot, back, uh, at least last year or two, is you know which one of the Braves prospects had the be- best chance to be an ace? Uh, and you and I, I think, are of the opinion that there are very few aces in baseball. Period. Right? Like there's guys that you can like reliably call like your guy that you would play, you would run out there as a game one starter in the playoff series. But in terms of true aces, there's just not a lot of them. And I think it's just, there's so many things that have to go right for that to be true. You know, you have to like be, be able to pitch big amounts of innings. You have to, you know, you have to have like multiple good pitches and you have to like consistently put up really big results. I always answered Soroka to that question because I always felt like his command would one, make him more efficient so he could go deeper into games. And two, that command combined with his just general mental aptitude was going to give him a real chance to kind of be able to control a game from start to finish. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. I'm not projecting him to finish the season with a 1.07 ERA. It's just not going to happen. I don't even remember what, when was the last time the league, like a starter had a sub two ERA for like, you know, a qualified starter throughout the whole season. I couldn't even remember that. Kershaw did it a couple times, I think, but Kershaw was like, Ridiculous. He's a mutant. Yeah, he's a mutant. And mute. it wasn't this low either. I'm looking now because I, I remember him doing it fairly recently because you asked. And Clayton Kershaw, yeah, 1.69 ERA in 2016. Um, and then he had two – that was a little bit of a shortened season, but he did have two full seasons, 2013 and 14, where he had a 1.83 and 1.77 ERA in back-to-back seasons, which is 
outrageous. And uh, he won the MVP the second year because he was that good. But yeah, anyway, he... your point your point is a good one though. No one no one posts sub two ERAs in this day and age really, and uh, they definitely don't post one point oh seven ERAs. <laughs> yeah, so and it's gonna cool I, off. I, but uh, I, I might be in the minority in that I kind of like that they're doing what they're doing in terms of limiting his workload. Like he has had like he had he's pitched into the eighth. You know, he's kind of pitching like into the seventh eighth inning range. Uh, but he's like only been in like 80 pitches, and everyone seems to get really mad whenever they take him out of a game. But he's coming off a shoulder injury, so I don't have any problems with them doing. Like he's he's if you're getting upset that he's already thrown seven or eight innings, and he's they're not letting him like finish out these complete games, even though he maybe could. Uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, the, the bullpen's going to have to be figured out one way or the other. You can't just run him out there and run him out to, to death, uh, especially coming off the injury. So I'm actually fine with it. I like the way they're being he's being managed, and obviously the way he's pitching has been pretty insane. You know, he just. You just can't. He just doesn't give up hits. He's you know striking out batters at a decent clip. He's not giving up walks. Like the home run he gave up to Crawford in that San Francisco series was a solo shot, and it was the first one he'd given up since like sometime last year. So he's silly. Yeah, yeah. He's he's ridiculous. Uh, otherwise, in that Monday game, which we can go back to real quickly, uh, Austin Riley bombed again. Ronald Cooney hit two bombs. Let's just talk about Riley for a second because he had another home run on Wednesday. Uh, he made franchise history with five home runs in his first nine games, um, which is crazy. Um, his yep. numbers have cooled a bit because I think as of this recording, and uh, granted the game is still going on, I think he's like one of his last 11 or something like that. And his uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio has not been great, etc. And he's down to a, uh, a more manageable 165 WRC+, which is still incredible, um, and still slugging like almost 700. Um, but even the, even, with, even with this cool-off, he's been ridiculous and... Uh, Five home runs and 49 plate appearances now, and it was even less than that a couple days ago, is kind of speaks for itself. Like, he has been lights out. You can't really ask for more. He had one bad moment in the field today, and he's had some issues with, with Ronald Acuna, like, calling off each other and just some weirdness there in the outfield. But um, all things considered, the first 50 plate appearances or so of Alastair Rowe's career have gone uh, quite well. I mean, absolutely. I expected some weird stuff to happen in the outfield because, I mean, like you, you threw in the guy for, like, five games in Gwinnett and left field, and then it's like, okay. <laughs> it's not a, it's you're, not you're, a huge you're, problem. Yeah, no, he's I mean, he's not going to be he's not going to be a gold glover out there. I just don't see that happening. But, you know, in terms of like miscommunication, I mean, keep in mind that Ronnie's like just had to take over center field, too. And he hasn't been in that position a whole bunch because Ender had been there. So it's like, you know, there's just going to be miscommunications, you know, who's supposed to get what to what balls and all that other stuff. So I don't don't really I don't really put too much worry in that. Uh, The only thing about Riley and we were kind of talking a little bit about this before the podcast was that, I mean, obviously the, the, the hot starts insane and we've liked Riley a lot. But The question has always been with his hit tool and whether or not he's going to strike out too much and, you know, whether or not it's going to really dip into his value in terms of getting to his power regularly. He's gotten to that power regularly, but he's also sporting like, like he's striking out a third of the time of his plate appearances. Yes, and, so but, far uh, right now it's 18 strikeouts and 49 plate appearances, only one walk. So uh, that that ratio is going to have to improve, and it it can't be that it it, it will not be this bad. But no, um, I don't think so. But that is a uh, if you're looking for anything to pour some cold water on it, that's it because he's just not going to have a bad up of like 420, and you know it's all he's still going to be a good hitter. I think I uh, we're pretty confident in that, even as someone yeah. who was never like full like. Austin Rowley is an uber elite prospect in my past. He's a good prospect, and he's going to hit. Um, but if you're worried at all about anything, it's probably his uh, play discipline right now. Well, yeah, and it's 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 discipline, and he's seeing a lot of deep counts. You know, he's he's still learning how guys are adjusting to him too. You know what I mean? Like that first week, where like he just wasn't making outs at <laughs> at all. Um, you know, it got to be kind of ridiculous. <laughs> for yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For like, like the first days. five games, you just yeah. couldn't get him out, and if you did get him out, it was like he like like lined a ball right at somebody and almost killed him you know i mean it's you know he was really hot in triple a he was he started off he and he still is hot right now you know what i mean it's not like uh he's like had like a three-game wall it's not worth you can't really draw too many conclusions from that as much as you can't draw too many conclusions from his hot start i will say that you know he is a guy that could like you know slide it's like a stereotypical cleanup hitter uh but don't expect him to hit over 300 i just don't think that's feasible Uh, i do think the walk rate's gonna get better I'm hopeful that the, the the strikeout rate gets better. He is going to be a guy that does have some swing and miss too. That's just the way he is, um, and it's I don't think it's necessarily going to be something that's damning. But like for all the people who are like you know this guy is like the next coming like the next big rookie to come out and he's actually going to win rookie of the year. I might want to pump the brakes on that until you see a little bit more because I've watched Austin a lot and I've seen him go on hot streaks before. And this one's particularly insane, but I've also seen kind of the flip side where you know sometimes you know a league or a level you know adjusts to him and then he has to make his adjustments back and those just take some time and that's not a problem 
Yeah, e- even guys who are better prospects than Austin Riley, a la Ronald Acuna, have, have some lulls when they first arrive. It, it's, it happens. Um, so nothing to worry about at all. And obviously he was fantastic early and hopefully will continue to be fantastic. But uh, just some context there. And I know you've seen him a lot more than I have. Um, so just Well, yeah. I mean, I mean you're, you're, you've seen like prospects that were higher, higher ranked and are more highly thought of struggling right now. Eloy Jimenez hasn't been particularly great for the White Sox. You know, Tatis Jr. is injured. And you have Victor Robles, has, who has had his like ups and downs too. And I mean, Juan Soto hasn't even looked that good this year. So... No, he's cooled off considerably from his uh, ridiculous rookie season. So, yeah, this stuff happens early on in guys' career. So, nothing to worry about. And obviously, Rod has been really good. Uh, we mentioned I mentioned a second ago that he bombed on Monday and then bombed again Wednesday. Acuna hit two home runs on Monday, and uh, I saw this stat flying around, so I wanted to touch on it real quickly. Acuna played his 162nd game on Friday, so his first, you know, quote unquote, full season worth of games. And I think people have almost forgotten how ludicrous this is, but at his age. His numbers are silly for a full for his first quote full season. Um, thirty seven home runs, thirty two doubles, five triples, a one thirty eight WRC plus, uh, about five and a half Fangraphs WAR, about six and a half Baseball Reference WAR, and a uh, slash line of two eighty nine, three sixty seven, and five thirty three with quality defense. Um, we kind of been conditioned uh, to this with Ronald Acuna because we just talked about him for so long, and it's almost um, you know goes without saying at this point but it's worth noting every once in a while just how crazy that is and uh, I mean I'm not even sure what else that I want to say about it other than he's just ridiculously good and any you know when he has like a like a four or five game cold streak people start worrying about him it's like nope he's uh awesome don't worry (laughs) yeah it's it it all averages himself out because you know he'll have like three games where he only gets like one hit or something but then he'll also have a five game stretch where like you can't get him out and he like single-handedly wins the series for you. Um, you know, maybe he's a, you might call him a little bit streaky in that sense, but when his when his hot streaks are what he can do, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, again, those numbers speak for themselves. That's basically it's definitely all-star level production. It's uh, not quite MVP level probably, but like it's the next step down and he is uh as we uh, all know, he's ex- still extremely young to the point where him doing this at this point, like he's still 21, which is <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's outrageous. <laughs> he turns 22 in December, so this full season will be 21 years old for Ronald Cooney, and he's, uh, yeah, doing doing well. No, no problems. Yeah, I don't think we're too worried about him. No, just want to put that out there. Um, the rest of the week was, uh, you know, not, it wasn't like huge swings, you know, the one loss on Saturday so far, and they might lose tonight as well as we record this. Um, Saturday was the, uh, the Dan Winkler Variety hour in the eighth inning with a four run uh, sort of implosion. I, yeah. I, I candidly missed that live and had to watch it back um, just to see what happened. It wasn't great, um, and it wasn't like the Braves, you know, were dominating the game at, to, at that point in time. Like they, they still sort of could have lost with a relatively normal performance, but you know that was the end of the game essentially when Wickler got beat up in the eighth. So I mean, after back to back wins. Uh, actually, three three straight wins against uh, the Giants the, the last two games, including a 13-inning marathon on Thursday, and then a series opening win on Friday to have that come crashing down a little bit on Saturday um, was unfortunate. But in the spirit of being positive, there were a lot of positives before that because you know Thursday they had the great Tukey and Luke Jackson performance coming together for four scoreless innings. Um, and then Dansby Swanson and Mike Fultonavich dominated on Friday. Dansby had two bombs on Friday, and then uh, we had some good Fulty. On Friday, Eric, which we, 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 we should yeah, definitely we, discuss. Yeah, we that, needed that. Yeah, I mean that's that's something like it wasn't just numbers too. Like he he visibly looked better. The uh, the velocity was better. His stuff was better, and uh, that is a very encouraging thing. As we've been on record, I know you have in multiple places as well as I have. He's kind of the swing guy right now. Like if he's if he's awesome and the guy he was last year, this Braves team looks a lot different in a very good way. Yeah, I was really skeptical as to whether or not Fulty was completely healthy just because, like, you know, how bad the slider looked. You see a dip in velocity, and you kind of remember back to spring training where the slider was the pitch that was giving him the most problems with his elbow. And, you know, I mean, I take them for the word as that, you know, there were bone spurs, so it's something that can be managed. But, you know, it was certainly something that was kind of in the back of my mind a lot is, you know, is he completely healthy? And he looked a lot better on Friday. Um, they may, he may still not be a hundred percent, but maybe they've kind of figured something out mechanically that works for him or, you know, or something that just has improved over time. I mean, the body does heal, uh, and it just takes time sometimes. And he maybe felt particularly good on Friday. And that's a positive sign because, you know, when you have Freed and Soroka going the way that they are and, you know, Julio Tehran, you know, and Gaussman kind of being a little bit, 
a little bit iffy at times. You know, sometimes the luck's there, sometimes it's not. And, um, you know, you need a guy like Fulty to kind of be a, kind of a steady influence in that rotation. And he had just been – had not looked good since he had come back from the IL. And I'm glad that he looked good. And I want to see more of that before I'm like kind of like – I feel more comfortable. <laughs> because oh, certainly. But I mean, this it, it was is good to see. This is oversimplified. But just the theory of the rotation, it just looks so much different if Fulte is the guy he was last year or close to that. Because, you know, even if Soroka and Freed cool off, those guys you would feel very good about um, alongside Fulte as your top three. And if you're slotting in Gosman as your four and Julio as your five, that's fine. Like, it's not terribly sexy, especially with Julio, but Kevin Gosman has been a solid starting pitcher for a while. Um, I think he is not... Not terribly sexy, but he can certainly pitch for you. If he's your fourth starter, you're in good shape. If he's your third starter, it doesn't feel quite as awesome. Um, and that means, you know, it's just a lot of flexibility there. But Fulte, if he's really good, suddenly you have three guys you feel really good about. Because I know the fan base is uh, very much all in on Sorokin and Freed. So if you have those three guys... As they should be. As they should yeah, be. I mean, Freed's... I, I'm not sure Freed has been quite as good as everyone thinks he's been. But he's still very good. Like, he's been very good this year. And... Um, it's more of a, a difference between like people think that he is a number one. I'm not sure he is, but that's that's a distinction that doesn't necessarily matter too much. <laughs> like him being a two would be very good. Like it's not it's not a problem that he's not maybe not a elite 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 guy and the peripherals and stuff all that stuff. It's not a problem. I promise. Um, so if you have Fulte, Soroka, and Freed all healthy and cooking, you're in really good shape, and uh, that kind of is the winner that you that, w- that was provided with that faulty performance. It's only one start, which has to be said out loud, because he was not great before that, and if he does right. it again, I'll feel better, but um, what we saw on Friday when faulty pitched like that is something that has to excite everybody. Yeah, I agree, and you know, the, the stuff about Freed is just kind of interesting that he's going to have games where he's just not touchable just because when you have that kind of stuff that he has where like you can throw upper mid 90s yeah, he just looks 90s, <laughs> he can he, he can he he looks completely unhittable but then there are going to be times where he like struggles to throw strikes and he struggles with his command and stuff like that and you know he has to dial things back just to be able to get the ball over the plate and maybe he looks a little bit more hittable and we'll give up some home runs here and there but you know it's still a really good profile, he, he, but yeah, like he, he has a really low bat up right now, for instance. His peripherals are more of like in the like the low to mid three range. His which ERA is two point eight eight. Which is by the way totally fine. Like that's Oh yeah, that's what that's, that's what I'm saying, really. I mean I, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like I'm super low on Max Free. I'm not. He's very good. Um but if you believe the peripherals from this year, he's more of a two than he is a one, which is not a problem. Like if you get a, if, if that guy's a number two starter, you, you're in great shape. Cause then if you, you get, have, if, if you have a pro- pitching prospect that turns into a number two for any amount of time, you're good. Yeah. That's what <laughs> just, I mean. I mean. He's, he's not walking guys. His walker rates basically a career best right now. Even yeah. in the minors, he was not walking two, per, two guys, two guys per nine innings. So if that continues alongside everything else, he's very good at baseball. He's on pace for like a, I don't know, three win season, which would be awesome. Yeah, like that's really good. So don't worry. Um, but yeah, all all that to say, if you have a top three of Freed, Soroka, and Fulte, followed by these two, you know, Gosman's not really that old, but he feels like probably older than he is. These two veterans at four and five with depth, with depth behind them and the young guys, that's pretty good. Like that'll work. It's not incredible. It's not what the Nationals are on paper necessarily. Although they're they're a disaster. But it wasn't like they're. Um, <laughs> I'm about to say, might want to pick a better team. No, I mean, I just mean, I mean, top three wise. I mean, with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. Um, it may not be that, but uh, everybody else, you know, it's 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 pretty good. It's pretty good r- rotation. It's nothing to worry about. And uh, yeah, don't worry. Um, let's see. I mean, we can talk about tonight's game. I'm trying to wait till it's over. But you know, for now, um, they kicked it around a little bit defensively in the fourth inning. It wouldn't matter necessarily if they don't score a run because right now they have not scored and we're in the eighth. Um, they have that was the only problem. To, we mentioned a little bit earlier with Riley, three. but yeah, it was it was defense for the most part. You know, two errors and. You know, it it could be one nothing or zero zero right now, which they probably could still lose the game. But uh, that was the only thing that really was the blemish tonight. Julio is interesting, and since we're on starting pitching, what have you made of Julio? Because he's been a topic of conversation. Like he's been fine. I'm not sure it's going to continue, but we keep saying that, and he keeps being okay. Because you know, he walked four tonight, and it didn't look great, but the results were okay. I mean, he you know, 200 runs that weren't really his fault, and if you if you ignore those. The result in terms of the uh, the earned run column was okay, and it's now he has a three point five three ERA for the season. It's probably a little bit misleading, but if he keeps doing this and walking between the raindrops, you'll take it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially from like, like if you ignore the fact of what the expectations were of Julio like a couple of years ago, and he's just just looking for just some production, eating some innings, he's been totally fine at that. But the thing that he's been good about is limiting hard contact. Period. Um, he's when he it used to be like last year, you know, he'd just give up a lot of home runs. He, he's certainly given up some this year, but it hasn't been quite the same. He's been hard to square up in general. He doesn't seem like he gives up many hits. Period, uh, which is. I mean, I'm not sure what his uh, opponent's batting average is against this year versus last year. Last year was kind of like insanely good, and it's still the numbers still didn't look great. Um, you, you wish he would miss some more bats, but so far, it's, so far it's been fine. You know, it's I, I question. I'm I'm with you in that. I question how long it will last, but at the same time, it's kind of hard to argue with results. His, you just his, take he, it. He, yeah, you just keep it, taking it until it, until it stops. Yeah, uh, I'll have a little bit more problems if like the the exercise is option or they're trying to pay him any significant amount of money. But you know, for what you need out of him this year, especially when you have guys that some guys that can pitch deeper in the games and you can rely on for those like big game moments, if you will, like those big like those big matchups, whether it be in a playoff series or whatever, you can match them up against another team's one or two. You, he doesn't need to be that guy. He no. just needs to be able to you know be functional, and he's done that. Like that's, oh yeah, I mean, that's, if, like, if he, the playoff series happened right now, he wouldn't start, which is what you want. Like your fifth starter doesn't doesn't exist in a playoff series. Maybe you make him a long man or something, but he's not making a playoff start if everybody else is healthy, and that's okay. Like you yep. need a fifth starter to eat innings, and he's done that. He's done effect. He's done an effective job, and he's just where he should be at this moment. Like he's he's probably overpaid for what he is, but they already had that locked. They already had that locked in, and honestly. His production to this point has been better than you would expect from a fifth starter. Like, doesn't mean that yeah. he's that it's going to continue. But if you told me right now, you know, beginning of the season to end of May, Julio posts a three point five three ERA. Everyone should take that every single time, and that's what he's done so far. It's not been pretty every time, but it's it's working. So cross your fingers and hope it continues. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, we'll we'll. We'll see how long he can stay healthy. Last year, he kind of had a lot of minor injuries sort of cropping up kind of around the middle part of the season. He started missing starts here and there. And, you know, the one thing about this whole situation is that I'm kind of glad he's pitching well because there's no one in Gwinnett at this moment in time that's really kind of trying to latch on to a start. Yeah, there's no one really yeah. starting because, I mean, they, they keep ferrying Kyle Wright and Tuki Toussaint like back and forth between Gwinnett and the Braves, which I get why they're doing it. I do. But at the same time, like, it's hard for any guy to kind of get in the rhythm and figure out exactly what his role is on the team. And I can imagine it will affect their performance at times. Although I must admit, uh, Tukey is currently in the game and he's, you know, hasn't given up a hit or a run uh, and struck out a pair of batters. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I, I wish that, you know, that would kind of end, <laughs> I guess is the best way not to say yeah, it. Yeah, it's not, it's not fun. I mean, I'm, I get part why. Of it, and part of it is that, you know, what we, what, we, what we were just saying, there just aren't starts available as long as Julio is in the rotation because nobody else is taken out. You're not, I mean, it is. I mean, the bullpen is what it is, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. But, you know, ideally, you would, you know, right now, you, you would have Tuki Tuzan in a rotation, and he's not there right now because, you know, you have Julio Tehran, who's been fine, obviously, and you're not taking any, 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 any of the other four guys out for one of the young guys. So as long as Julio is okay, this is your rotation, barring injury. Like that's it. Yep. I mean, th- these are the five guys, and you know, in some ways, that's unfortunate for the young guys who are trying to break break in. But no one's been up. The top four are very safe as long as they're healthy, and then Julio has been fine, so you can't take him out. So it just kind of kind of is what it is, and it puts Tukey and Wright and Bryce Wilson and whoever else in weird spots. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. Yep. Um. All right, Eric. We're, we're gonna come back in just a second, but we, before we do that, here's a word from the old sponsor. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. And um, instead of talking about the week 
unless something crazy happens in this game, we're going to assume the Braves lose tonight because it's three nothing, and they just got retired in the eighth. So they're going to need some uh, some some heroics uh, in the ninth to come to pull off a victory. Um, one last one last thing that I forgot to mention: um, we've been making fun of Neymar Kikis playing every single day forever. He had the day off on Thursday, so we should at least say that out loud. Shouts to Snit for giving him the day off on Thursday. I thought it was a typo on the lineup. I swear to God. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Like it's almost become it's an easy joke to make and one that is also. Uh, I was like grounded in seriousness because, you know, we just all saw what happened last year, and then they went out of their way to say that they were going to give him a lot of days off this year and give him a lot of rest and appropriate rest, and it's just not happened at all. Which, you know, as long as he's hitting, it's okay. But uh, it's just kind of funny, and but it, it finally happened, and it was the afternoon game against Bumgarner and all that stuff, and they're just kind of a perfect storm, three forty-five start, and oh, Marquez is out of the lineup, um, and everyone made the same joke, and it was just one of those times that's always fun. So, one yeah. of those things. I really hope that that kind of changes because obviously he had a really hot start to the season this year, yep, but like, he was good. But, and then in May he's been like a 100 WRC plus player, and which is fine. That's all he needs to be. I mean, but, that's, as long yes. as that regression doesn't happen any further that, that more than that, because I mean he's definitely looked at times where he just hasn't looked particularly good at the plate. No, and, I mean at, at this moment he has a 115 WRC plus. Literally to the moment he's he's over he's over three today. 115 is awesome. Like if he does that. <laughs> Great. Um, that's built in with the hot start, but it all counts so far. It's still an early part of the season. He's walked more than he struck out. He has some really encouraging numbers in some ways. You know, his walk rate's really good. He's some of the advanced metrics hitter. are good too. He's a like, professional hitter. It's just what it is. Like he can really hit the baseball. There's no like no one's really doubting his ability at the plate and approach. You know, the power is the only thing that it kind of gets, you know made fun of a little bit and with good reason even with the hot start he's slugging 433 which is not what you want in a cor- out of a corner outfielder but if he's getting on base that's all that matters to me just do what you're going to do and he's he's been very solid um i do think slash hope that because he has cooled off maybe they will treat him the way that they said they were going to treat him early on in the year and by the way they have adam duvall who's just like murdering the ball and has been for weeks now well that. I'll, I'll say this about duvall because i get asked a lot about him the whole has been there the, the, the home runs are, have been there for sure. The hit tool and the like regular. He's Adam Duvall. It's just what he is. That's just, uh, this is what he does. I, I I'm get not saying. I'm, by the way, I, by the way, just so I, before I get this, this, before this gets misconstrued, Adam Duvall is not better than Net Marquez. No one's saying that. Um, no. The only the theory would be that you have maybe 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 Camargo goes down and gets his swing back a little bit. You bring Duvall up and maybe do some platoon stuff and have him play against lefties, which is only rarely anyway. And that's an easy way to give Marquez some days off. It's not benching Marquez. He was he's better than Duvall. I'm no one saying otherwise. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those things where uh, you I know have this, I know what tweets you're going to be getting. Well, I mean, it's just it's just Duvall is like you have this 30 year old guy who has a very defined skill set. Um, Camargo, and we talked about this last week and it didn't happen, which I thought was, it's not surprising, but I, I think if Camargo continues to scuffle like this, they're going to have to make something happen to make him snap out of it. And it could it's, be some time to win so It's sad to watch because I was so excited that they had, the Braves had found a really good utility guy and he was really good last year and he just has not looked good this year. No, it has not. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not giving up on Camargo by any means. It's just right now he doesn't really, he doesn't have it. He's not playing and you know, it's just a weird situation. And by the way, they ran a three-man bench for a game this week because yeah. Matt Joyce um, had was was it a um, I think I, it was I, a family I, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he lost a family member. Yeah, so I mean, it was weird circumstances. They they called up Kyle Wright, and I was like, wait, they're gonna go with an even shorter bench. They're gonna have a three-man bench, mm-hmm. and we we've been calling at least I have been calling for a five-man bench, and it was like, oh. By the way, here's a three-man bench. It's like, okay, cool. That's well, I, I mean, there was a lot of like the, the extra inning game in San Francisco, kind of. Yeah, you need to picture. I, I, I get yeah, the theory behind it. It was just kind of funny. Yeah, it was just weird. Um, but yeah, all that to say, we'll see how they handle Marquez moving forward. I think you know. At just this give point the guy some time, days off, man. Let him rest. Yeah, he just needs to. It's not rocket science. I think it's just kind of weird that they haven't done it more. And I think the argument early was that he was playing so well that you want to get. I, I, I get it. I understand. But you know, look at what happened last year, etc. It's not just him. And that's something that I, I, mentioned, I made sure to say on Twitter a couple times. But the only guy that they've been treating the way that they probably should treat in terms of just rotating guys and giving everybody occasional day off is Donaldson. Yep. They're ta- they're taking care of him. Everybody else is basically playing every single day, and that's it's okay, especially when the younger guys like your your Aussies, your Dansby's, they're going to play most of the time. But part of the theory behind having depth 
and you know look at the best teams in the league your Dodgers and all that stuff and the way they handle things is that you know with very few exceptions most guys don't play every single day and this Braves team right now is playing guys every single day and you know Freddie and Acuna I, I totally get it because they're that good, and it's just what happens with those guys. They only get the occasional day off because they're you know they're superstars. And Donaldson is uh, a different kind of context, but you know you don't usually see guys on that second tier level, your Dansby's, your Aussies, um, playing every single day. Um, and they have been, which is it's okay, but that might be a way to get Camargo going too. Is just play him a little bit more often in the way that the theory of the case was in the offseason that he could play everywhere and he's not really done that it's basically been third base or corner outfield he's not really played a ton in the middle infield which is okay but it's just something to keep an eye on Marquez is just the obvious one because he's older and he has the track record of kind of slipping because he probably is older yeah I mean and that even if it's not Camargo like the problem I have right now is that you know Camargo obviously hasn't hit particularly well and so I kind of understand their hesitancy to get him in the lineup. But, I mean, if you believe at all in, like, the, what Charlie Culberson's been doing, too, like, you know, if you don't feel comfortable putting Camargo in there, Culberson can play a lot of these positions, too. And, you know, just giving these guys days off, like, it's going to pay off a lot in the second half where we've seen I mean, we've seen second-half swoons from Mark Hekis. We've seen, like, Ozzy got the gas last year. You're, you're going to have to give these guys some more time here and there um, and as opposed to just kind of, letting them have to hope to, for days off to come naturally in the schedule. And I don't know. It's it's a little bit frustrating in some ways, but I also sort of get it, especially when, like, you the team goes on, like, a five-game winning streak and stuff like that. And, you know, the the offense seems to be really humming the way it is, and you don't want to mess with it at all. Yeah, you but, want to ride it, which I, I totally get it. And by the way, this, this week they get a natural schedule break because they have Monday inexplicably Memorial Day off day, which is nuts. And then Thursday off day, so they have a five-game homestand this week with Monday and Thursday off. So a lot. This is about as about as friendly of a rest schedule as you can possibly have in a single week is to not have to travel and still have two days off. So there's something there, I guess. But uh, yeah, well, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Yeah, here, here's difference. hoping indeed. And the, and then they have Monday. Uh, then they have the following Monday off. So ba- they only have yeah five games in eight days. Which in baseball is uh, is is like a vacation. A vacation, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and they have to travel on the on the Monday to go to uh, to go up to Pittsburgh. But still, that's something to keep an eye on as they get some guys healthy. Maybe they'll have some uh, some fresh legs moving forward here. Um, what else are we gonna talk about? Oh, um, one thing we have I have to ask you about this contractually, Eric, okay. and that is uh, all the Kimbrel Keiko stuff came back this week because uh, the draft's coming. And we're gonna we're gonna end with the draft momentarily. Um, but because of the of the long running rumor slash notion that those guys will sign quickly once the deadline passes and they're allowed to do so without draft pick compensation, they were tied to the Braves, both of them. Obviously, Kimbrel probably more so because I'm not sure why you would sign Keiko at this moment, um, other than if you got him just for comically cheap. Uh, Kimbrel is the one everybody talks about forever. So, anything new on 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 your mind with this? I mean, we're kind of all on record with this one, but now that we're getting close to that deadline and Kimbrel's now been tied to the Braves and the, the obvious need is there, could it happen? Are we being are, just, are we are we being teased again or is this kind of a real thing now? I think it's a part of it's a tease. I mean, just because the Braves make the most sense as a target for especially for Kimbrel, I don't think there's any chance they sign Keiko because if you could get him for a comically cheap he would have already signed somebody him else somewhere. will get him. Yeah, yeah they, would have, they would have already gotten him. <laughs> well, and the thing uh, is, he doesn't have rotations. I mean. Honestly, as funny as this sounds, I, I think he's better than Julio Tehran, but it's not that big of a gap to where, especially and when Keiko, you don't know Keiko's going to want real money. He's and that's what I mean. You can't. Yeah. There's not really justification for that. Once you now that you've seen what Soroka and Freed have been, like you know, three months ago when there was Soroka uncertainty and you didn't know what Freed was going to be, there the rotation was much more up in the air. Now your two best pitchers this year have been young guys. You have Fulte coming back. You have Gosman's been solid. There's not really a reason to go and get Dallas Keuchel right now. There's also the whole he hasn't pitched in half a season. Well, that's, thing. that's what I was gonna say. Like, I, I think uh, that's what I think he's better than Julio. But you know, the assumption of that is different than the practice of that. Um, right. Whereas um, Kimbrel, you know, the, that makes the fit the fit the need all that stuff is just so glaringly obvious that everyone's gonna assume the Braves will be in the mix, and I'm sure they will make calls on him. I'm sure they already yeah. have been making calls on him. Um, but it's gonna. I, I'll say this: it's gonna bother me. If they sign him like five hours after the deadline passes, just because this the race is going to be so tight, I think that if they, you know, 
if they God 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 forbid they sign Kimbrel on the day the deadline passes and they miss the playoffs by one game. That's all I'll say. Well, <laughs> that's not gonna I, go over well. Okay, so I get what you're saying, I, but I really do understand the, especially depending on what Kimbrel's demands are, because you know what. Well, now that you is, wait this long, you might as well keep waiting. Like well, I, that that part I get for sure. Well, yes, and two is that since you, the Braves do not have an international free agent bonus pool to speak of for the next couple of years. And they haven't had it in the last year either because of the restrictions external from the penalties that were placed upon them. And if they really feel like they have to like put in a lot of investment into what's going to be coming out of the draft, I do get, especially if Kimbrel is wanting a significant sum of money because the, what, what you lose by signing a, a guy who's, who has a QO attached to him depends a lot on how much the contract is for. And if you're, if he's still wanting a substantial amount of money, and you might be willing to pay him that substantial amount of money, the penalty is going to be worse in that regard. It's not like – I don't think that he's necessarily willing to sign for a one- or two-year deal. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And no, I mean, and he, may, and he may not. He may know. I mean, I have no clue, frankly, what, he's, what he wants at this point. He's waited so long. That's the trick, yeah. That it's just so weird to gauge that market, and we're not – I don't have the inside sources to tell you anything about that. Yeah. It's just kind of so weird at this point because – Everyone probably rightly assumes that the uh, the possibility goes up of him signing somewhere in the next couple of weeks because of the deadline passing and all the people that might be weary of giving up a draft pick and you know Braves included. But who knows, man? It's uh, going to be June, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean, look, it's not like two thirds of the league isn't looking for a really good reliever right now. So I feel like that, and some of those teams I don't think would have care would care as much about the draft pick so much as how much money he's looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it it feels like he's like everything. I feel like he has just this is my price, and if you can meet it, great. If not, then I'm just not going to pitch. And that's what kind of it kind of feels like. It feels more like that with Keiko. Keiko's like, no, I'm just this is just what I'm worth. I he's he said he said openly, I've gotten offers that seem fairly lucrative, but I want my price, and that's my price. And and that's I I don't really I mean, for a starter, I sort of get it a little more, especially he's he's a little bit older. He's not the most exciting guy in the world, so you know. Keuchel, it's almost like he's waiting for an injury or something um, to get that very lucrative offer. Kimbrel, I mean, they both help a lot of teams, but Kimbrel just helps everyone. Yep. Like short of the Yankees, who have their that ridiculous bullpen, everybody else could use Greg Kimbrel. There's like no doubt about that. He just helps everyone. But it's just this perfect storm of weird market and a reliever who has an agent that wants a lot of money and the draft pick stuff. And, you know, he's made some good money in his career, so he's not, like, a guy who is going to just sign for nothing, necessarily. I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of factors in play there. And, you know, my guard is up, to be sure. I think Braves fans' guard should be up. They could sign him. It would not blow me away if they signed him Craig Kimbrell. We should say that out loud, and at least in my opinion. It would not surprise me that much. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't sign him either. And if whoever, whatever team does sign him, if you think you're just going to all of a sudden have Kimbrel in your bullpen after he hasn't pitched in a half a season. Oh, yeah, it's going to take a yeah, couple that, weeks minimum. It's, it's, it's going to take some time for him to like get back into a camp and or extend it or wherever to get right because that's just not how it works. I don't care what kind of workout regimen he's had on this, you know, for the for this half season or whatever. You got to I don't know. The whole situation is really weird. And like whole, I did not and think, it has been the whole time. It's just bizarre. The whole, it, the whole and we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks now because it just hasn't been a huge topic of conversation, but I it was like Thursday this week. It's like, "Oh, we're back. Kimbrel watch." <laughs> it's like, "All right, yeah. here we go again." Um, I don't know. It's something yeah. to keep an eye on and if he signs with the Braves, we'll do a podcast about it. That's all I got right now. It's going to be so funny if it happens right after the draft though. Like, like the last pick is called, and then in 30 minutes, Braves are in deep negotiations. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it'd be no. like very on brand for like the the manipulation nature of it all. Like it's yeah, it's the same thing as calling guys up the day of the Super Two deadline. It's just it's the whole you know not even trying to hide it stuff that happens around the league sometimes. I'm, like I'm going to go ahead and call it and say that as soon as the draft ends, there's going to be a story that comes out that says X team, it might be the Braves, it might not, but it's definitely going to be a team, have been in negotiations with Crink Kimbrell for a couple weeks now and appear to be close to reaching an agreement. I guarantee it's going right. to happen. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that's definitely plausible, and uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens in the next week or two. Um, last thing here I wanted to mention real quickly is that I I, uh, I often tweet out, it's like a thread that I do every year, every couple days, of five major projection systems and how they treat the Braves and how they look at the Braves. Friday was the first time this season that the Braves had a greater than 50% chance to make the playoffs 
in all five of those. Um, that comes with just winning more games than they've lost recently, which is obviously a nice foundation. But they're it now sort of getting up there with, uh, you know, some pretty positive numbers. It doesn't mean everything, obviously, but these, you know, that's why I track five different systems because that way you can sort of weed out some of the noise. And most of them see the Braves as like a high 80s win team right now, which probably is good enough to get like a second wild card spot. Um, does that move you at all from where you were preseason? I know we're two months in now. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's kind of the unofficial time to check the to check the standings um, for the quote first time, end quote. Um, anything changed for you in the way you see this team right now in terms of a big picture sense? No, I mean, I, I, whenever we did our roundtable at the beginning of the season, I picked them to have the same win totals they had last year. Uh, not better, not worse. And my, my issue with the division is it stands – and some of it's been borne out more than others. Uh, I still think the Phillies, like the Phillies and kind of how they manage their bullpen and how bad I think their defense is, I think is going to be a problem for them long term. I understand that their, their lineup sometimes is just going to go wild. I, I get that. And – Sometimes, you know, Aaron Nola, I don't think Aaron Nola is going to stay this in this bad of shape for the whole season. For I, I think highly of him as a pitcher, but overall, I just, I don't really believe in that team very much. Combined with the fact that I have had zero confidence in the Mets doing any amount of good <laughs> as a baseball team over a 162 game season, and they haven't been doing so, the, the Nationals have turned into a disaster. Uh, what they're like nine games below 500 now, um, and they don't really have those kind of they, – they have some arms that have a lot of name value, but they haven't necessarily pitched like that. Um, and, you know, obviously the Marlins are bad. So I, I feel like the Braves still have a real chance of winning this division. They're going to have to do – there's some things they have to break right for them too. Overall, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of in the same place. I don't feel like they're going to you know be like a 100-win team or anything like that, but I feel like that they're – I feel like that they – should be favored to win the division and or get, at least get a playoff spot. So, and that's what I felt since the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would pick the Phillies to win the division, both because they have a two-game lead and because I think they're just, you know, they're as good or better than the Braves are. But if I had to pick a second wild card, it would be the Braves right now. I think the teams that are currently the playoff teams at this moment would probably be the teams that I would pick, and that is Philly, Chicago, Milwaukee, the Dodgers, and the Braves. And you know, I wouldn't like bet my life on that because I think the Braves are close to teams like the Cardinals or you know teams like the Padres or even the Diamondbacks who've been pretty good this year. Um, but you know they have a they, they've done enough to sort of weed off everything here. And by the way, they might win tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, uh, it's, it is now a three-two game, and Austin Riley just had an RBI single. It's now three to two, and there's no outs because and, Jordan and Hicks runner, can't and do runners, things. And runners on so, second and third. Uh, yeah, please ignore all of our previous statements. Um, yeah, no, they're no, they're doing great. We've got a good chance to win this game. We've, that's we've true. Uh, by the way, I checked this while while, while we were talking. Um, at least according to, uh, I think it was this is the ESPN like tracker. They had a uh, about a three percent chance to win this game when the when the inning started, <laughs> or maybe a two percent chance, something like that. Um, so if they win it, then uh, you can credit us for yep, reverse yep. jinxing or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But yeah, anyway. Dating back, dating back to the whole big picture thing, I'm kind of in the same place I've been in as well. Like, the rough start was kind of the rough start, and the bullpen was worse than they ever could have imagined it being. But now, you know, win or lose tonight, and we'll see in a minute if they win or lose tonight, they'll be fine. Like, they'll either be one and a half or two games out, one and a half or two and a half games out of the uh, division lead. It's Memorial Day tomorrow. They're in just fine shape and kind of where we thought they were going to be. Like, I picked them to win, like, somewhere in the mid to high 80s, and that's kind of where they are right now. So, we'll see. But, uh, you know, it's probably encouraging more than discouraging, given some of the stuff that's happened early and the way that Riley looks and the way the bullpen can't be worse and all that stuff. So they've been pretty it's been pretty good to this point, despite some of the early frustrations. Yeah, I'm, I agree with that assessment. I do. I, I think that so. I think they're a playoff team right now. That's what I think. Yeah, I would pick them to be the second wildcard team. And that's not a, that's not that's not that's not shade. So that's a pretty good spot to be in. Yep. Um, let's keep talking because um, the game might end but uh i wanted to ask before we get out of, before we get out of here um the draft is like what eight days away nine days away at this moment in time we probably will not have a podcast on this particular podcast our fee will have a show i'm sure between uh your uh your road your road, your road to atlanta crew but uh i have family weirdness going on and work weirdness going on so i think i'm probably not going to have a podcast next weekend barring some weirdness um and the draft is like the next day. So let's get some draft takes out there. I have none whatsoever because I am not at all prepared for this other than listening to you guys and reading our stuff on the site. But 
please tell people what they should expect aside from just subscribing to the Rose Atlanta podcast and also reading our site. Um, share some insight with people on the draft, which is what, like eight days away now. Yeah, it's really creeping up on us. Um, I, I will say that if you want really like an in-depth look as kind of at how we've viewed the draft, especially as the time has gone on, listen to the last two or three episodes of Road to Atlanta because we've had uh, we had Carlos Colazzo, TC alum and now draft guru over at Baseball American, and we talked a lot about the draft prospects, and we've been talking a lot about the draft in the last couple of pro- a couple of podcasts. Um, I'll say this: there, right now, there are five names that I do not expect under any circumstance to be available to the Braves at nine. And that's Adley Richman, who's the catcher out of Oregon state. That's he's probably, if he doesn't go number one, then the Orioles have probably messed something up or they're doing something really weird with an like, underslot pick. Um, Bobby Witt jr. CJ Abrams, uh, both of which are prep bats, uh, prep shortstops. Then we have JJ Blade, the outfielder out of Vanderbilt and then Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman out of Cal uh, who might be the best hitter in the draft. Uh, those top five guys, I can't imagine a scenario where they are available unless something really happens with Vaughn because he's a first base only guy. Um, after that, you kind of get into this other tier where it could possibly happen. I don't see Riley Green, um, the outfielder from the prep outfielder from Florida, falling. Um, and Nick Lodolo is a is an arm that may probably won't be there. He's probably the best co- college arm in the draft, and he might be the best overall. Um, but the guys that you you want to be kind of thinking about with the Braves specifically is uh, right-handed starter Jackson, Jackson Rutledge out of a, a Texas JUCO, uh, big a big big-bodied guy, throws real heat, has real upside, especially if you think that you can maybe develop to have some more command. Uh, his name's popped up a lot recently. Hunter Bishop is the guy I like a lot. He's the Arizona State outfielder, a, like a ton of tools. Uh, the track record of production up before this year wasn't the best, but if honestly he was producing like this he has this year in previous years, he'd probably be a top five pick. Um, Bryson Stott's a shortstop that I really like as well. There's a couple arms. Daniel Espino is a guy that I have learned over the last couple of years to not argue with Matt Powers over draft prospects because he's very often right, and he fell in love with Daniel Espino early on. He's seen him live, and this is a kid that throws mid to upper 90s uh, with his fastball. Really good slider, too. The trick with him is that he's a smaller-bodied guy, and some people wonder if he has reliever. Like, he ends up using a reliever because his arm action is a little bit weird. But the kid, in terms of pure upside and pure stuff, he might have the best stuff in the draft. And most people have been picking him kind of towards the, the bottom of the first round. Um, if he... If the Braves, for example, took a bat with, at nine, which is, I think, what they're going to do, and then are able to float Espino down to that 21st pick, that's a home run. And that's what we're kind of – that's what I'm personally kind of hoping for. I think Matt wants Espino to get taken at nine because make sure the Braves get him uh, and then just take whatever bat or whoever falls to 21. But right now those are kind of the, some of the names we're looking at as the most likely options. Uh, predictably, something obviously something weird is going to happen and it's going to throw everything off. But – if I had to guess, those, those names that I mentioned are kind of the ones that are the most in play, along with Corbin Carroll, who's an outfield bat from uh, the Northwest. Uh, he's a prep bat that's also really interesting and might be in play there as well. Eric, I'm not going to attempt to add anything to that because I have no idea what I would add <laughs> to that. Um, just because uh, I am I'm always candid about this. Um, prospect stuff's not my expertise. I do occasionally see prospects, and I you know pay, pay attention to the Braves guys and read all of our stuff. The draft is my blind spot almost completely. I have nothing going. So please listen to Eric, listen to Matt, Carlos Colazzo, um, my arch enemy. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Carlos is my guy. We uh, work together even before talking job. So um, yeah, check out check out that podcast. Check out all of our content over the next week. Uh, is Road to Atlanta coming before the draft? Eric, it, I think well, it is. There, there, there will be an episode of Road to Atlanta this Thursday. Uh, not sure if we're going to have a guest yet. Uh, I've, I'm Who currently needs trying. a guest? Well, Come on. We, we, we don't need one. But if it's possible, if, if Kyler McDaniel does have time this week, uh, I, and again, this is probably the worst week to try to ask him. Um, yeah, this is uh, Yeah, just because it's right before the draft. But if, I, if, we, if, if he does have time, we're going to try to get him on. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a lot of, you know, talking about prospects and, you know, our last thoughts of the, before the draft. Is there a uh, last thing on this? And I promise, is there a, is there a doomsday scenario for you in the draft? This is the stuff that I, uh, my, that my, my, my dark mind goes to, um, Anything that's going to like really upset you that they might do realistically? Because that's kind of where I... I mean, the MLB draft is something where, you know, 
the swings are just bigger. Like I'm used to covering the NBA draft or the NFL draft. And like, aside from the occasional, just like WTF curveball, nothing that weird happens in terms of just picks that maybe trades get weird. The MLB draft, you know, guys go three rounds earlier and like people won't even blink an eye. So anything that you can see realistically that you would not like, or is a situation where you're just kind of open to a lot of different outcomes. Okay. So (laughs) I will say this in this particular draft class, the college pitching is historically bad. When we had Jim Callis on a couple weeks ago, he said this is the worst college pitching class he's seen in 30 years. I did hear so, that, and I uh, yeah. I was uh, I, I was surprised by it just because that, that's 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 such a definitive take. But I, I believe him. I don't I don't know. So I am fine with like a Jackson Rutledge pick, but in terms of like the Nick Lodolos, Alex Manoas, those types, I have no interest in them in the ninth pick because I only think the I think that some of these guys, the only reason they're up that high is because college pitching is in such demand, and they just happen to be the best ones. Uh, I'm not a big fan of those picks. I will say that. I may have to talk Matt off a ledge if the Braves select uh, Shea Langoliers, uh, the catcher out of Baylor. Because Matt, uh, and he does not – he he. there's questions whether or not he's going to have an impact hit tool at all. Uh, he's someone that will hit for some power, but he's like doesn't, doesn't really walk a ton. He doesn't – Matt doesn't think his hit tool is particularly good. Uh, so in terms of like a doomsday scenario for me personally and kind of having the – you know, make sure Matt's going to be okay at the end of all this. <laughs> having to rein uh, that in. Yeah, yeah, that, makes, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that that's probably the pick. Uh, but once you get into like the tw- the ninth pick is what only kind of what matters. Once you get to twenty one, it's kind of just all of a crapshoot. It, it's just who fell to you. Uh, there's there's names we like for sure that we think might get down there, but it's you know it it gets really dicey when you're trying to talk about names down further that far down uh, in the draft. It's kind of just pick the best player available and just hope it's someone that's good. Um, but with that ninth pick, those are the couple. Like again, I don't want I really want to bat with the pick with the pick at nine, there's a couple pitchers I'd be okay with, but if they stray from that, I would not be particularly happy. Are you really excited for uh, the definitive takes from Braves fans that have no idea? Because I, I really always love that. Even This oh, is why God, I don't give yeah. takes, because I know I don't know anything. I'm already but, getting them. Yeah, the draft, the, dra- the MLB draft is the, f- is the funniest one for me, because at least with you know the NBA and the NFL, most I mean, not most. A lot of fans have seen these guys. You know, whether they're super informed on them or not is another story. But most, you know, college basketball, college football are watched by lots of people, and people have been seen. Um, college baseball and high school baseball, especially, <laughs> are not being watched by a lot of people. So it's one of those things where I, I will not claim to have seen any of these people play baseball before. Um, so it's just kind of funny to always see the avalanche of like definitive takes from people like, Oh, I hate that. Mostly because of position, which, which I always find funny. It's like, why would they, why would they take this? They need this. And it's like, well, this is the baseball draft and you can't draft for need. Not a good idea. I, my favorite is when there's like a prospect that's very clearly not like a, a like a top 10 pick overall. And like someone falls in love with them, and they decide that since you didn't like mention them as a possibility, that you hate them, and Cover. you hate their team, and you hate all their fans. And I only like, know one top ten prospect that wasn't a top ten prospect, and that's Kyler Murray, who no longer played, who no, no longer played, no longer plays baseball, obviously, because he's now very, very, very wealthy in football. But um, wasn't he supposed to be like a second round pick, and he went nine or something? Uh, yeah, they, I think at best a second round pick because I think everyone assumed he was wanting to play football, and he wasn't particularly. It wasn't. I mean, obviously, like it's like elite athleticism, but it's you know he wasn't particularly. Like, he wasn't that guy. But I guess the athletics fell in love with him, and they got burned for it. Unfortunately, that's that stuff happens though, not just because of you know, obviously college a really weird circumstance, but um, every year. I mean, I do follow it the night of the draft, especially the first round. Like I'll be watching and following. And every year, there's always one guy. It feels like that's like, oh, he was the number fifty-seven on my board, and he went number eight or something crazy. Not maybe not maybe not that big, but like just some some crazy reach usually happens. At least perceived reach because it's uh, high school baseball evaluation, and it's kind of tough, yep. man. It really is really tough. I mean, like there's there, and there's gonna be a lot of misses. I mean, all you need to do, like the Rays had a year where like they had like seven picks in the first like hundred and thirty-five, and like they whiffed on basically all of them. <laughs> so. You know, it's, my, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of failure in the, the draft for sure. My high school baseball knowledge is confined to uh, my alma mater in high school winning another state championship this year. So shouts to the Parkview High School well, Panthers. Congratulations. Who uh, won the state championship at SunTrust Park earlier this week. So I, I, That's right. They did play that at SunTrust. They did. And I didn't. I was not there. I was not watching. But uh, it's my alma mater. So shouts to Parkview. Also, also, also the alma, alma mater of a very famous uh, Braves outfielder who now does... Frenchie. 
So just keep that in mind when you're uh, trying to track down my uh, my origin story. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, Eric, I'm trying to all like three this. of you. I'm trying to yeah, exactly. I'm trying to like you know keep talking because right now Ozzy's up with uh, second and third one out after McCann strikeout and the Braves are down three two against Andrew Miller. And Ozzy against a lefty usually goes well, um, but Andrew Miller's good, so he's battling. What? We're now at uh, what nine oh. pitches in this at bat as we are talking now. So. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Yep. Okay. Of in your opinion, do you think? Oh, look, they they scored some. Yeah, we're scoring. Um, runs. Yeah, runs in play. Runs. Uh, what? You've been covering baseball, baseball, and for talking shop longer than I have. What is like the st- strongest reaction, or like the your like the biggest moment you have in your coverage of the Braves since they've picked they've drafted a player? Period. Like, is there any like moment where like there's like a draft night and like the, the a pick was made and like all of a sudden everyone was either in an uproar or was super excited? Ooh, in the draft. Um, yeah. It was probably one of those years when they drafted a pitcher when they just had so many pitchers and they just kept drafting high school pitchers over and over again. Um, I can't think of one like individual pick that got killed. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. Cause like, when, cause I started back in 2015 and you know, that, that was the year I had literally just started writing and you know, Al, Allard and Soroka were the picks. And I, I remember I said that I thought Soroka was an underslot pick and that's kind of high comedy now, but, um, uh, yeah, there was one of those graphics the other day. I think it was like a couple weeks ago. I tweeted about this too. That was like, Oh, the Braves draft in that year. And they left Colby Allard off. And I'm like, Oh, their first pick that year is not on this graphic. <laughs> <laughs> and I yes, laughed. That's that's kind I of felt awkward. bad for Colby, but it was just one of those things. I was like, "Oh, this yeah, is convenient." Yeah, I, I've always wondered, kind of like, because in recent years, I understand that people's interest in the draft and the and prospects has like the last few years has been kind of an exponential rise in both the amount of information that people have access to, but also like how strongly their opinions are formed based on that information, even though it probably shouldn't be. Um, and I was I'm always kind of curious, like you know, like back further than whenever I was doing coverage as to whether or not like people actually cared this much about it. Cause I mean like people get really mad if you don't mention their guy as a potential ninth pick or a potential 21th pick. Uh, like, and I found that out. And it's so bizarre to me. I'm like, how can you be that upset about the 21st pick as to like, and not mentioning a one possible scenario or one possible guy. Like how can you be in that, in that in love with somebody that you probably only seen like three 15 second clips of on Twitter. Yeah. It's just, the takes are just too much. Um, just to update people if they somehow missed this game, Ozzy just tied it um, after a heck of a plate appearance, and then he decided to do a thing on the base paths, which was odd. So now it's tied, which is good, given that it was 3 nothing a minute ago, but it's two outs and one guy on third instead of what it should have been. Um, so we're going to probably cut, cut this off at some point and not keep doing play-by-play, because this, this might be a 15-inning <laughs> game. But... Um, Needless to say, I, I, I did just check. ESPN and Action Network both had the Braves with less than five percent chance to uh, win this game in the uh, top of, in the uh, top of the ninth. So uh, I'm gonna say nice the, I'm, I'm gonna say the way Braves win four four to three. What's your pick? And then we'll, we'll then we'll see who was right at the end. Oh God, why would you do this to me, Eric? Um, <laughs> let's see. The Braves at this moment have a man on third still. So I will. Uh, I would probably I would agree with you. Can I not take four or three? You can take it. You can take that. You can. You we can be on the same team on this. It's probably the most likely outcome at this particular moment that we're recording this with Culberson coming up. I think four three Atlanta is probably the most likely outcome of this game. That's pretty. Now, if they if he doesn't get a hit here, um, the Cardinals become favorites because they have an extra play. They have an extra play appearance, um, or extra half inning batting. But uh, yeah, I would say (laughs) at this moment we'll say I'll say four three Braves and I'll look stupid when it's like. Walk off five three Cardinals. <laughs> I think that's fair. We should probably we should probably let the people go uh, <laughs> rather than us, us babbler on though. Oh, certainly because uh, by the time you listen to this, everyone will know what happened. Exactly. Uh, Eric, please, uh, I guess one more time, plug everything that you have going on. I know it's very busy right now in uh, your in your line of work in prospects and drafts and all that stuff. So please, one more time, plug stuff, and then we'll get out of here. Yep. Uh, make sure you're you're subscribed to the Talking Chop podcast feed on itunes stitcher basically all the uh, podcast platforms that you would like uh it gets you both this podcast that we're on but also the road to atlanta podcast which is comes out every thursday uh it's usually thursday in the evening and we we talk a lot about prospects obviously but up until leading up to the draft there's gonna be a lot of draft coverage on there uh matt's continuing to run out like a position by position 
list as to kind of what's going on with the draft for the as well. Uh, I think he's, I think shortstops goes up tomorrow, uh, and he's going to be kind of doing that all the way up to the draft. We're going to be doing some previewing some possible Rays draft picks during the next week or so as well. Uh, and make sure you're checking out the site at Talking Chop or following the podcast Twitter account at Road the Number Two Atlanta on Twitter as well. You can follow me for at Leprechaun with a K as well if you want to get some you know major league minor league baseball stuff as well as my general rantings at the world when I'm irritated. But beyond that, uh, you know, make sure you follow Brad too at BT Roland and you know he wants all of your trade proposals, both Hawks and Braves related. So make sure you send all those to him. Yes, please do, uh, or, or don't. That's totally fine as well. <laughs> Follow Eric and the guys. Please subscribe to this podcast via whatever podcast platform you choose. And we'll see everybody in a little while, probably not exactly a week, but uh, we'll be back sooner rather than later. But Road to Atlanta will carry you, so uh, stay tuned for that. <laughs>